Hey guys, Justin here. So in July, we had a phenomenal interview with Dr. Nick Dickerson, a scholar who studies the connections between race, masculinity, sport, and of course, our ancestors' favorite plant. However, unfortunately, the first part of our interview is unavailable due to some recording issues. In that portion, Nick shared how he got into sports sociology, how cannabis users are recognized in pop culture, why athletes use cannabis, and the importance of black men defining their own identity. We'd love for you to have been able to hear our full conversation with Dr. Dickerson, whether it was about cannabis-using athletes or stoner movies, but for now, we want you to enjoy what we do have of this interview, which is centered around his recent paper for the Sociology of Sport Journal. But before we jump into it, let me introduce him a bit more. While he's currently a professor at Loughborough University in England, he received his BA in Sports Sociology from Ithaca College in New York in 2005. He received his MA in the Cultural Studies of Sport from the University of Maryland in 2007, and a PhD in the Cultural Studies of Sport from the University of Iowa in 2012. As a scholar, he encourages us to look at Black masculinity differently, and he unconventionally incorporates music into his humanities work and writings. The paper discussed in this interview is titled, Under the Influence, Marijuana, the Black Male Athlete, and Alternative Understandings of Humanity. With all that being said, please enjoy season three, episode four. Thanks. How is it in America, right? I mean, everywhere, but I'm specifically going to talk about America. We can have these institutes of police violence or other violence enacted on black bodies for, for no reason. But our way in which to try to get people to care, right, is to reshow those incredibly violent acts, right? And so mm. what does that mean that like we have to, reshow these horrific acts to try to get people to care about black life. Um, and so there's a brilliant scholar, Catherine McKittrick, who's a black geographer, right? Who, who talks about what happens with that is we often get into this like dilemma of to try to repair racism, we have to name racism, right? And then what happens is that we essentially only know black lives through either suffering racism or trying to resist racism, right? But black lives are so much more complex than that. And, and so she, right, argues that we should tap into black ways of knowing, right? And black ways of knowing requires different methodologies, different ways of thinking about the world. And so she fixates on her, her brilliant book, Dear Science, on stories, right? And the stories that we tell, right, and stories not as giving us answers, but stories as ways of how Black people negotiate living in an anti-Black society. And the, again, these stories are not going to give us answers, but maybe it gives us clues about how we make Black life in an anti-Black world, right? That can give us clues to live life differently, different ways of being, which, again, I think is perhaps an abstract idea. Right. But that's what I tried to bring to that, writing it in that way. And at the same time, like that was the time I was reading a lot of Octavia Butler and Toni Morrison um, and watching Lovecraft Country. Right. And oh, wow. The ways in which black creative practices, right, are, are saying, right, interesting things about the black experience. Right. Uh, without, again, giving us any sort of solution, per se, to, to um, white supremacy. And so I was trying to think with all those things, uh, and, you know, somehow I just came to that. And I think there's a natural connection, if you will, between 
decades of black music that has talked about marijuana in various different ways that just kind of allowed me to kind of run in that direction. And it was just, you know, something that like, how can I begin to think about this in a different way? Right. Because, you know, again, even in the ACLU's um, 2020 report, we know that even in states where legalization had happened or marijuana been decriminalized, Black people, right, were still arrested disproportionately compared to the mm-hmm. white people. It's just, for me, it's just like, whatever we're doing is not working. And so can some sort of creative practices help us think differently, move us in different directions? And that's more, that that's really what I wanted to try to do with this was, right, to get people to think differently about Black men about what constitutes a healthy body, about marijuana use, right? And maybe that thinking helps us move in different directions. Mm. Yeah, and I do love the, um, it's a McKittrick quote that you have saying that Black storytelling can open the door to curiosity if we sit with what cannot be explained and the challenges of knowing differently. So I'm like, yeah like being someone who was like trained in traditional rigid science there's very there's only one way of knowing one way of doing things there's one truth and that's it and then shifting the social science where they say there's one way of knowing there's one way of doing things and even if we're talking about critical social science critical sociology there's still a standardized way of doing it and anything else than that does not fit in the mold of the one truth. So I think that's why humanities work is so fascinating. Um, maybe it could be, uh, there's still probably, you know, there's issues with every discipline because of their disciplines, but it just seems like with African-American studies, black studies and this cultural studies, there's so much more room for people to discuss things and get their points across without having to have, you know what, I chose this mode of analysis because this means this and I can I can bring a certain conclusion from the way I talk about stuff. So yeah, I, I just appreciate the like creativity that went into the process of writing this. And there was also another McKittrick quote um, or not a quote, but you say that they argue that black music should be considered a rebellious political act entwined with neurological pleasure. And through listening to the lyrical and waveforms of black music, you were hearing expressions, excuse me, of new forms of humanity. And like, I don't know, that's just so interesting. And then you lead with telling people you want listeners to pause and listen to the music that you cite. So what are some of the emotions that you're expecting people to feel after they went through this process of talking about, um, or not this process, but they went through your paper and they were reading about how there's these different tropes that black male athletes face. And, but you know, you want them to, to discuss their own identity and you're turning to this point and you're going back and forth between the music and the interviews, like, what are, I guess, what are some emotions that you had or thoughts that you had that you want to share? And what are you expecting other people to experience as they go through this paper? Yeah. So 
you know, I, I guess I'd start answering that by speaking to a, uh, a track that's not in the paper, but, it, you know, it's the way for me to get there. So if you've ever heard the opening track on Maggot Brain, um, my Uncle Adelica, you know, Eddie Hazel's solo, like for me, it's such an emotional guitar solo. And like, you know, I guess it makes me feel like I'm feeling black life, right? The sorrow, the struggle, right? But also the infinite hope, right? And so I think with a lot of those things, you know, I, I guess in one, I wanted us to perhaps try to think about connecting to emotion, right? As opposed to turning away from emotion, right? Which is what a lot of scholarship, you know, and does the emotion help us push inward, reflect what is happening, right? What is going on with me when I hear this or what is going on with me, right? When I read this while listening to this, but also, again, just thinking about how sonically, right, things may open us up to think differently. So um, there's a John Holt uh, song in there, right? And, you know, I wish I had the language to talk about reggae music in like a very sophisticated manner. But mm. all I can say is that, you know, sometimes for me, there's particular bass lines in reggae where I can tell this is going to be political reggae, right? So like that is the impression I get when I hear the opening to that song uh, that I I have from him listed there and right, what does that open us up to? Or again, thinking about something like um, uh, Rick James's Mary Jane, right? And like Mm -hmm. just (laughs) his bass, the interplay with the flute, right? And, you know, I think if I remember correctly, uh, you know, I can't help but want to move my body when I hear that song, right? And just love the interplay, the dance that with the flute that's incorporated into that. And again, how might tuning into that aspect, how might that rewire how we're thinking, how we're approaching this? And then mm-hmm. Have that frame or shift of perspective. How does that, you know, perhaps tune us into what the athletes are saying and that little uh, annotation that I also tried to write? How might all those things bring us together to, you know, maybe do some good reflection or just begin uh, to think a little bit differently about Black men, sport, but also Black men who use marijuana? Okay, this is fascinating because now I see the psychologist coming in where you're like, I want people to process differently. So I'm not even just going to tap into your conscious, but if we're going to talk about a plant that taps into your subconscious, let's also use music to tap into your subconscious. Or maybe subconscious isn't the right word because I'm not a psychology person, but wow. But yeah, you know, I presented that at a couple of conferences now and like, you know, again, tried to push out the traditional conference mode and like, I would give this typical overview for five minutes, but then, uh, you know, in the paper, it has my words, right? Mm-hmm. In that annotation, but mm-hmm. I cut the words and just show the image of like, listen to this track and what the athletes are saying, then played the music for like a minute or so and ha- asked the audience to try to write what they are thinking oh. like that, that music is going and they're reading that. Now, 
as we all know, audience participation, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, putting people on the spot, that can be a challenge. But, you know, again, it, just another attempt of trying to bring that to a different setting. And again, like how can we exchange knowledge a little bit differently or try to get a conversation going a bit differently? Mm. That's so interesting because this whole time I feel like I've been thinking about how to bring things that are stuck in the academy to the streets, quote unquote, but it's almost like you're bringing the streets to the academy. I mean, I think both are important things to do, right? One, shifting mm-hmm. things within the academy, but also like, you know, you know, something what, you know, uh, uh, something like this podcast does, right, it is... Like again, I think also those things are really necessary. How do we, right? The very first thing I mentioned is that unless you're affiliated with an institution, it, you're probably not going to be able to read that article that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So how, right, are there other ways to like um, connect with community, right, or generate discussions about this, right, um, and figure out what does that look like? How can we do that? Okay. And you do research about, Black masculinity and identify as a Black male, as you said earlier. So how do you find your research relating to your personal life? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of the, if you know, I think um, to try to make connections to what we were just doing. So I think a lot of it in the beginning, right, of my work was concentrated on like, how does a white gaze, right, see Black men? Uh, but I think as like, you know, the, it's it's important, but I guess, you know, I think in terms of um, shifting that gaze into, right, what are Black people experiencing? How are they creating knowledge? How are they defining for themselves? For me, it's very much a journey into really trying to engage with Black feminist theory. And so I think when I you, we say, right, um, how does it connect to my own life, really, where I'm trying to go and where I'm trying to be is how how can I think about black men, but deconstructing patriarchal performances of black men, not only in my work, but, but also for myself in the everyday. Mm. Right. And again, like, you know, part of that work, right. Also involves trying to disrupt heteronormative notions. Right. And so I think, you know, those are the aspects, right. Kind of that I try to bring into my own experience or, um, in terms of writing about these things, it's like, you know, the direction I'm going is historically, presently, right? Are there performances of Black masculinity that interrupt heteronormativity, patriarchy, right? How do we make sense of that? And, and you know, a direct uh, part of that is how, how am I trying to make those decisions in my own life? Um, and all this conversation, I guess, for me, it revolves around, around like, how to be a better man, how to like tune into different ways, right, of performing masculinity. And, you know, how is that good, perhaps not only for myself, but how I relate to other Black men, but also how I relate to Black women and they like make space there as well. And so I think mm-hmm. those aspects of kind of trying to, you know, get where somewhere, you know, get to that self-definition, but a self-definition that is healthy, not only for myself, but for others I connect to and want to be connected to that are part of the community and society more broadly, I think that's where I see the deep connection uh, between um, 
myself and my own work. And again, I guess the kind of final part of that would also be, you know, it's a little bit difficult to see in the UK, which is in a very different part place than the US. But like, if I was still in the US, I think I would be also be trying to make connections to black cannabis, like organizing groups, people mm. that are in the industry, whereas there's a little bit of push for legalization here, but politically, it's just nowhere near. Uh, mm. Like, you know, in an ideal world, I would also want perhaps think about how are there connections there. Okay. Well, if you ever come back to the U.S., we're here to organize. <laughs> um, earlier, before, before when the first time we had met, we briefly discussed your involvement with other projects outside the academy. Um, so we just want you to, like, discuss those. Like, what other projects are you involved with outside of, like, writing academic papers that might tie to... Um, the masculinity side of your project, or the cannabis side of your project, or if that one's too taboo, the music side of your project, or just culture or sports. I know you said you you do sports yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe one of the bigger things is like uh, for the last seven years, I've run a social justice book club. It's a way where you know, we've certainly read stuff about uh, the prohibition of drugs in general, but, you know, read anything from aspects of issues of race, consumerism, gender, sexuality, um, trans issues, like all kinds of things. And so I've run that for a very long time. Um, In terms of uh, other connections outside work, uh, earlier this year, I did a seminar series for an organization here called Beyond Equality, Rethinking Masculinity, which uh, like actually runs a lot of cool programs to, ha- mm. to work with young boys and you know young men to kind of like, how do we reshape aspects of masculinity, perhaps in a more helpful manner, if you, you know, or healthy manner, maybe a better word. Uh, so I did take a little seminar on the connection between race and masculinity and perhaps some of the more complicated things we have to think about when we're working with black men and other men of color, but to remember to recognize the racialized experiences that they're also having when when we're having these discussions. And then I think, you know, it's not um, fully formed yet, but a hopefully very cool project that will get some funding is that uh, with a good friend and colleague uh, who's at the University of Kentucky, Mm -hmm. we're trying to write... um, a grant for some funding where we would have like young black adults, black women, black men, non-binary, 18 and over in both the US and UK to come together to create artwork about the black experience and hopefully not only be able to produce art, but also develop conversations about the experiences of being black in the US and the UK and having a dialogue across the Atlantic and also creating artwork uh, to reflect and talk about their experiences. And we'd like to have a physical symposium to showcase the art, but also develop a digital archive where the art could be um, held and it could serve as kind of this living body of black life through the art, uh, through the arts uh, and so something that could grow. Uh, and so we're trying to develop, again, that project, um, you know, 
for a grant application this fall, which will hopefully uh, come to fruition because we would both like to do like, how could we perhaps engage people uh, with art to document the black experience, whether that be in sport more broadly, right? Again, to, you know, art, just like music, right? You know, kind of draws people in in different ways. And perhaps that can be a powerful tool. And again, moving us forward towards, you know, perhaps a more equitable sporting world, but uh, society more broadly. Cool. And do you identify as an artist yourself? <laughs> it's a very good question. So, I mean, you know, I would say from year from sixth grade to 12th grade, uh, I went to an all art school. Um, oh, wow. So you got two periods of art a day. And I originally went there uh, to play music. But from sixth to ninth grade, you get to try all the different arts like photography, ceramics, you know, visual arts, like whatever it may be. Then year nine, you got to get sponsored. Uh, so I was a failed saxophonist. Uh, <laughs> what and does that I, mean? It means that I did not have the dedication to practice. Uh, <laughs> actually be, you know, a decent saxophone player, which uh-huh. now I heavily regret. Um, I think it's because I wanted, really wanted to play guitar at that time, which I now do. Um, oh, okay. But, you know, I liked, I'm not an artist, but I like the arts. But I think one of the interesting things about um, people who do art-based research, right, is it's not about how good you are, right? But it's about engaging in that practice. Because, you know, when I had that great opportunity, ceramics, photography, printmaking were some of the most fun classes I had, even though I was crap at them, (laughs) you know, but it it was still about that different way of trying to um, express yourself. And so I think because of that experience, I feel a deep connection to the arts, but also like my dad uh, was an artist, like woodworking in particular, like that was his art form. Uh, And so I think that's just always been a present aspect in my life, even if I don't necessarily have any sort of innate talent at any of those disciplines it's always something that's been there and that i'm interested in Mm. and also this reminds me for some reason i guess because we've been talking about cannabis and now you're talking about art of i used to bud tend at an organization that they always did a bunch of puff and paints and they also had like cannabis and comedy and other events too well what it would look like if we had puff and paints but instead of, you know, usually they give you, it's like a, a paint by number. They say, make a circle. They give you rigid instructions. But what if we ask people, how do they see themselves or, or questions about identity or questions about sport? Like, what would that look like? What art would come out of that? Even if they were people who didn't identify as artists, but just, you know, enjoy getting high in painting. So I only laugh because one, I think that's a great idea, but I perhaps thinking through my own experiences is that like, uh, you know, I think with the puff and paint, it could go either one in two ways. Like one, feel totally free and creative and just produce something or become so self-conscious uh, that it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing that you could become paralyzed. But I think that it would be a uh, particularly if you have people that have experienced it before, Fair. but mm-hmm. also, like, you know, 
I think it has the potential to like, you know, I joke about those insecurities, but I do think it has the potential, right, to help people free themselves of those anxieties about like, I have to be good and like, just have a play and be, you know, creative with it and just have fun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I kind of wish there were more arts training within our STEM training. Like I, even though it was an engineering program, I felt like there more opportunities for creative expression just seems to enhance like any sort of rigid discipline. And that's one thing I just love about interdisciplinary work. But I think at this point, um, we can move to our rapid fire questions. Are you, are you ready? Uh, I, I am ready. <laughs> you sure? all right so first off um do you have or have you had a favorite strain good question I, and i think if i was in north america like i feel like you'd give a very nuanced long answer but i will give you this uh you know when after my master's i was in amsterdam with my best friend from home and his little brother and we had some laughing Buddha and Ooh. it was very true to its name. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, could not stop laughing. And it was one of those experiences as not only is everything funny, but you just feel really happy. Um, and oh. so that was really great. And then, you know, I would also say, uh, also on that same trip, we had uh, Northern Lights, uh, mm-hmm. which was very piney. Uh, which I just, just the taste of that was very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you... if, oh, no, do you, I, you, you have a favorite? Am I allowed oh. that in the rapid fire? You you can ask anything. Uh, honestly, I'm gonna say anything. Sativa. Um, I'm just I'm an upper person. Like I like um, consuming as part of like doing creative things or even like thinking through work so i can't have anything that put you to sleep um i'm trying to think anything that's like i like piney stuff i like stuff that's like lemony like any just like happy fruity sense i think i'm a, a fan of what about you justin um i don't know i feel like when it comes to well, I can name a few. I, I really like runts. Um, I really like, really like GMO. I think, uh, I feel like as far as my answer goes, it's mainly just based on, I won't say name recognition, but just more so how many times I've been like, okay, you know, I, I kind of like the way this this high feels or you know like the smell of this look at the name and just noticing patterns that way so like i definitely don't have a super nuanced answer with like oh my gosh i love these terpenes and like these combinations but i feel like just in my uh, general experience like runs and gmo like whenever i between um whether it's you know from dispensaries whether it's a uh, um you know not from dispensaries it's like i've just found that those strains i like the best Mm. I think we had a bunch of really good runs the last two times you were here actually. Yeah, there's like a lot of a lot of different different variations. Like I think the main I've seen are the main ones I've seen are just regular runs and pink runs. 
Yeah, we had pink yeah. runs. We had white runs. Wasn't it like runt truffles or something like that? I don't remember that one, but sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't. I, they all kind of melded together, so I can't identify yeah. taste. I'm not going to lie. All right. I mean, like, I don't got like a full complex complex breakdown, but yeah, something like that. <laughs> I mean, I respect the people who do. Like, we weed snobs are a different breed. They are different they breeds. Are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get better at tasting terpenes, but there's certain ones that I can't I can't identify yet. All right, next question. Um, what have you enjoyed watching or listening to while you're elevated? Yeah, you know, um, I think listening to it can go, you know, in so many different directions depending on mood. But I guess, you know, uh, I think a nice experience is um, have a vinyl player. And so, you know, maybe pop on some of those big overhead headphones like Justin has on. And then just look at like the artwork or liner notes on like uh, the vinyl is really great. And, you know, I think uh, I think it's like one of those things. Right. It it just can go into that rabbit hole of like, you know, I might start listening to this and then like, you know, get fixated on this particular genre at this particular time. uh, And, uh, you know, nothing can go either way, but I tech, I like stuff where there's a jam in it. If, if it's music, so whether that be jazz, whether that be, you know, some, some funk or some blues with like, you know, anything that has like a definite jam within it, a lot of improvisation is something I usually like to gravitate towards um, just to, you know, where is this, you know, solo is going to take me. Um, and again, watching, I would think is, you know, quite similar. Um, I think a lot of like science fiction or dystopian things is things I sometimes gravitate or anime. Mm. As you can see from Justin's posters, he's a big anime person. Oh, um, yeah, got a, got a few posters up there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite series? Uh, contrary to the amount of posters, I don't watch like a whole lot of anime. I feel like um, my favorites, though, I think right now I'm watching Hunter Hunter, and I think it's... Once I finish, uh, I guess, what's out right now, that's definitely shaping up to be one of my favorites. Right. Um, beyond that, what's cool? I have a poster. I think it's I think it's cut off on the wall, but it's called Paranoia Bat. Um, I think that was a it was a really kind of trippy, surreal in the way that it was like the story was told. Um, but I I really liked just the um, yeah I really like that one. Nice. What about you? Yeah, um, I think if I was to pick, like, this is a, like, you know, something I just always really enjoyed. It's a series called XXholic, um, and it's that kind of odd mix of, like, it gets really dark uh, and, like, you know, introspective at times, and then it goes to that, like, classic humor anime just kind of ridiculousness and i think the juxtaposition of the lightness but also this kind of really dark philosophical spiritual aspects that it went into at some points so it's really cool um 
and yeah, you know, I think there's probably tons of other things, but if I think of something um, as of late, the Castlevania uh, animated on Netflix is a big thing. Love that. Um, probably because it had that connection to video games for me. Oh, so you're a gamer too? Uh, I mean, I think few and far these days, just with, with time. Um, but yeah, still have an Xbox. Uh, um, and yeah, I've always played video games. But yeah, I think that's not as much time as I would like these days. Academia. <laughs> always stuff to do. Mm-hmm. All right, when you get the munchies... Sorry, I'm munching right now, actually. On some almond butter filled pretzels. Aldi, delicious. Um, but when you get the munchies, what are you reaching for? Yeah, I mean, again, I would feel like, I feel like that's such mood dependent. Uh, but like, you know, I'm a big sweets person. So it could be usually perhaps oriented around chocolate or, or something like that. Uh, but then, you know, I could easily go salty. Uh, so some salt and vinegar chips or pepperoni pizza. Like, I, I feel like, you know, those are two <laughs> okay. things that I can like this. It's either salty or um, sweet. Bet. All right. In favorite method to consume and then how would you partake? So, you know, there's like smoking, edibles, dabs, vaping, and then a routine in terms of like some people do it in the morning. Some people like to do it before or after they write. Some people are evening people. Some people it's socially at concerts. Like what is your regimen? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> it's certainly not edibles, uh, <laughs> but uh <laughs> I think for me, um, it's, it would definitely be smoking if I was going to choose. I think if I lived, uh, you know, again, if I was in a state like where, where it was legal or Canada or somewhere, like it might be vaping uh, just for the ability to like have a little bit, uh, maybe not as harsh on your lungs as smoking, but, you know, uh, but probably smoking. Um, and then... Yeah, I, I think probably overall, I'm more of like um, either communal where we're, we're hanging out and we're going and particularly if we're going to a show or something or like um, I'm coming down, could use some help with, with sleeping, could use some like help with ache of joints after, uh, you know, what, whatever to also help towards sleeping and more of kind of coming down relaxing like maybe again listening to music video games or, or something of that nature and of course you know there could be there's obviously room for variability but probably definitely for me it's more of either in some sort of communal particularly around concerts or just chilling out or we're winding down trying to unwind um and relax for the day for the night makes sense and then lastly can you plug us to um either like a website your socials uh events just any opportunities for the public to connect with you sure uh you know uh perhaps the closest thing for me is probably twitter 
although we don't know how long that'll survive. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, my handle is FuhrJames83. Uh, that's F-U-H-R <laughs> underscore James83. Okay. Cool. Um, but that was fun. Thank you for... I'm uh, glad you enjoyed it. I'm so sorry about the recording issues. But yeah, thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it was fun. Uh, and again, I think, you know, don't always, it's not often kind of get to talk about cannabis stuff and cannabis issues related to issues of race and so on. So it was good. Thank you. All oh, right. Thank you so much. All right. Justin here a last time just to say that this will be our last episode for 2023. We'll be taking some time to review the latest cannabis literature, travel, and most importantly, rest. We appreciate everyone who listened this year. Happy holidays. Please be safe. And we'll see you on 2024.